Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyra podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best and worst and middest of comic books, graphic novels and mangas. Not I'm, there yet, is it? <laughs> it's workshopping, it's workshopping. I'm your host, the soon to be known as Comic Stan, and with me as always is my nostalgic co-host, it's Jamie. Hello mate, how are you? I'm not too bad, I mean we've got a, I'm more excited for this episode because it's right in my wheelhouse, right, as you know. Right, isn't it? It's, it's right to the roots of the Comic Lyra ethos ethos is that a word ethos yeah it's kind of it's both right up your alley and right up my alley because i like old things you like sitting in just having books in the room that by today's standards that is old isn't it yeah some kids don't know what a book is and have never touched one yeah we're sat in a room full of books and vinyl records like Hmm. (laughs) there was a thing where what was it some famous british like radio host died relatively recently like a couple months ago and i saw i Unfortunately, I can't remember his name, which is unfortunate, but I remember that because someone posted on a British subreddit or something. They were like, I had to explain who this person was. And basically, we agreed that radio used to be a free form of podcast. <laughs> like, having to reframe it's like, <laughs> this is why this person was famous. It's like a podcast, but it's always on and you listen to it in the car for some reason. And you can't choose what you can choose which channel you're listening to, but you can't choose what's playing on it. I love that even now you're using modern terminology because it's a radio exactly. station, not a radio channel. I mean, imagine, imagine, explain to our kids what VHS tapes are and by extension DVDs. Imagine, like, I saw somebody trying to explain what a cassette tape was to, like, maybe a 13-year-old a couple years ago, and he had a set of headphones, and he was like, where does the headphone jack go if it plays music? And Hmm. what's funny now is that headphone jacks aren't even a thing anymore. Depending on the (laughs) brand, that's a real Apple bullshit move they made, where they were like... I mean, in fairness, my modern, my Oppo doesn't have a headphone jack in it. Uh, actually, no, mine does, my Samsung does, so, uh, again, it depends on the brand, doesn't it? Right. It's a modern subject of contention, isn't it? Like whether they should have one or not. But I think yes, but maybe that is the old version of listening to things now. Right. So I have a friend who's an audiophile. And really emphasize the audio part of that. Yeah, he's an audiophile. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 I get it. That suffix has had some <laughs> bad rap, hasn't it? It's kind of been co-opted. There's one particular type of file that's particularly disliked. Yes. Um Yeah, no, I was trying to think of another file. That you could be that wasn't pedophile, and I was going to make a joke there, but Bib- my brain just didn't move fast enough for me. Bibliophile, bibliophile, people who love bibs. <laughs> no, that's pedophiles, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> for our American listeners, a bib is the thing you put on a baby so they don't dribble on their clothes. I believe they call it a. I think they call them bibs as well. No, they call it a. Americans have a different name for it. Are you sure you're not thinking of like pacifier and diapers? Like, because those are their names for those. Whereas we call them dummies and nappies, because apparently if it's baby, we have to add a Y at the end. For yeah, some it's got to be cute. Yeah. <laughs> American name. Oh, if I keep talking, you won't cut it out. <laughs> for you can't guarantee a that. Bib. No, I accidentally Googled bin. Trash can. Do you know, I think you're fucking right. I think they do call it a bib. I think you were kind of crosswise because, again, of the pacifier Pacifier diaper diaper. scenario. So anyway, he's a pedophile. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Who who are we talking about? (laughs) He's an audiophile and he has started to... He he carries a cassette Walkman with him with a a handful of cassettes in his rucksack and that's how he listens to music on the go. And he loves it because he gets like a, you know, a warm analog music sound when he's like out for a jog or whatever. It's the handheld vinyl, I'm guessing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's 
Sorry, you, do, you remember cassette tapes, right? Yeah, I know what you mean by cassette tape. Because saying... for a minute, I was like, <laughs> you're just going, oh, so it's like handheld vinyl. I'm like, wait a minute, you are from the 90s. So, do you not remember cassette tapes, Ryan? By which I mean, allow me to elaborate. Right, okay. By which I mean, it's uh, like the the larger, non-personalized version of the vinyl because it's a very unique style of sound. Because the vinyl the sound, vinyl is unique to vinyl. So I'm assuming the cassette, because it's been, it's been decades since I've listened to a cassette, it's, I'm assuming the cassette has its own signature sound. No, so it's not like the best quality, but it's a unique sound that yeah, people enjoy. Yeah, it sounds like tape. And that's what I meant by it's the, it's yeah, the handheld yeah, yeah. vinyl. Totally, totally. No, I see exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, so he listens to cassettes on the go. Right. Anyway, mm. I'm so sorry. We had a tangent <laughs> from a tangent. It was a tangent on a tangent. It's tangents all the way. It's Inception. Yes. A Dreams all the tangent way Tangent within baby. a tangent within a tangent, yeah. <laughs> That'll Where's be, my spinning top? Where's my spinning top? That'll be the hundredth episode. We have to do a hundred tangents, so we have to like start from one subject and we have to like keep tangenting a hundred times. Don't threaten me with a good time. But we also need someone to counter it because if we count, it's going to interrupt the flow of the tangents. <laughs> well, no, because the tangents then become the counting becomes a tangent in and of itself, which means you only need to do fifty tangents deep because you count each one. Yeah, but is talking about the time a tangent? Like, if I was like, wait, what time is it? And we'd be like, he went on a tangent about the time. Yeah, like, maybe I, not. I wouldn't quite... If we you... went on an actual tangent, tangent about of... time, then that would count. <laughs> about Time is a great film. Uh, yeah, so uh, my favourite time travel core. I've put myself on a spot here by asking a question that no one asked for. Um, There's only one true time travel film. See, for me... No, we're going to have different answers, I can tell. So for me, this is a quite like nerdy answer. It's a film called Primer. Have you ever heard yeah, of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Primer is like class making um, time travel as boring and mundane as possible, while still, if you... And being complicated and having to pay attention. But then when the reveals happen, you go... If you've not paid attention, you go, I don't know what just happened there. But if you have paid attention, you go, holy shit, like, what the fuck? And people are like, what, what, what just happened? It's obviously Back to the Future, Ryan. I'm sorry. It's it like, is. that is the, that is the common answer. I'll, I'll, like, I'll, mine is a, mine's a hipster answer. For, and for as we, as we know, Ryan, on this podcast, I do represent the common man. Yes, yes, you are a very common man uh, because you're wearing a tweed suit like the other episode. <laughs> Look, right. That was my business suit. <laughs> I was doing business stuff. I, don't I was doing what, a business. I don't remember what I was doing, but I was doing something important that I day. can't help if I'm part of the cultural elite. Anyway. <laughs> That's I, only funny to me because I know that I'm most definitely not part of the cultural elite. And neither am I, but <laughs> it's, it's funny on all fronts. And if for anyone listening, if you weren't laughing, we've just explained why it's funny. So now you can laugh. <laughs> there you uh, go. That's how jokes work. So we're going to have a little break so they can have a little laugh. I'm going to edit in 10 minutes of break. <laughs> <laughs> but only saying you're going to do that after they've had 10 minutes of silence. Yeah, where they've sped through going, what the fuck's happening? Is it broken? God, imagine having 10 full minutes of silence in 2023. I think I'd go insane. What the fuck would you do with that time? I'd go insane. I think I'd, be, I'd spend that time going insane. Because my phone, if, I pl- if my phone dies and I plug it in, it automatically turns itself back on. Like in my my phone is like I know you don't want me to be off. Yes. <laughs> F- funny that how like the the machines that try and capture our attention at every time are like no no we're still on don't worry don't worry don't worry no. as I, soon as I'm plugged in baby boy we say that as creators of content where we <laughs> we depend on people giving us their time yeah. and thank you for giving us your time if you're listening right now because time is the most precious resource and I do feel guilty for having wasted 13 minutes of their time so I think we should probably jump into the topic of the episode I was gonna say if it's your first episode you might be like a bit like why have they taken. <laughs> 
you so long to get to. If you've listened before, you know what's going on. I like to treat the podcast like a Swiss business meeting. You're waiting for a prompt, but like, well, yeah, I'm waiting, waiting for you to finish. I'm waiting for you to go. What do they do in Swiss business meetings, Jamie? Is this the old American? Like, it's so hot outside. How hot is it? Yeah, this is it. Yeah, I, w- I wanted some. Okay. Um, How is it like a Swiss business meeting? There's an expectation that you have ten minutes of chit chat before you get down to business. It's considered impolite to go into a Swiss meeting room and get straight into business. They expect like ten minutes of just like. Ah, oh, how is your journey here, sir? Like, before then you tell them that you want them to hide all your money from the American IRS. Well, by that logic, we should have a massive Swiss following. But <laughs> I don't think it's panned out that way yet. I don't, we've not broken through yet, is the thing. So, so any Swiss followers, reach out. <laughs> let us know if you've enjoyed this idle chit-chat before we get started. So... Now we are getting started. I did refer to Jamie at the beginning as nostalgic. And I don't think you don't you didn't question that much because I think we're all a bit nostalgic in I'm a way. I'm deeply nostalgic. And we're kind of doing a nostalgic deep dive while jumping back to the future. Hey. Eh? That was by accident. But if you've seen the title, you know what we're doing is we're doing a kind of point start to point end of Superman and Batman, the biggest names in comics. Who sorry? So up the top. If you've, if this is your first episode where we've done either of those people, Batman, Superman, or Spider-Man, I apologize in advance because what you are going to get is a run into the ground joke by which Jamie mis- intentionally mispronounces the names. No, I pronounce them. In, I pronounce them correctly. It's Mister Batman and Mister Superman. There was a thing. I didn't. I send you a thing where I was like, "Here's why it shouldn't be that way." I no. think. Oh, it's no. It's the hyphen in Spider-Man. So I think it's why they hyphenated Spider-Man. Yeah, no. Spider-Man stands. Yeah, and I often don't call him Spider-Man. Right. But it's Batman. Is I'm sorry. It's just Batman. That's oh. just how it works. If we're going by the original, it's the Batman. It's the so, Batman. <laughs> but that does it work with the? Because you don't say the and then like a surname, do you? Uh, you can say Mister Batman. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, but when they did. They did drop the the. So that's so the when we're talking about 1939 Bat- uh, Batman, he's mm. the Batman, the Batman. And when we're talking about modern Batman, he becomes Batman, and that is how I'm going to differentiate for the rest of the episode. Like I said, I apologise in advance. <laughs> Ryan doesn't like this joke. It's it not- amuses me endlessly. I, so the way it works is, I think a lot of people have this. I have my versions of that. Like I yeah. will intentionally miss grammaticize sentences and stuff like that but grammaticize it's a word i made up it's it's trending <laughs> i kind trending. of trending is it trending on x i kind there of, have been a lot of x's about it i kind of personalized the grammatization of that sentence just then didn't yeah. i yeah um and i have my things of that those are your things when someone else's thing you're like Ugh. but when i do it myself i'm like come on this is funny so <laughs> that's that's how it works isn't it so do you know what the best bit is i don't even think i came up with that joke wasn't it from Friends when they were talking about a character whose name was Goldman? And they were like, what does Goldman do? No, the- I'm super confident that the first time I heard that was <laughs> that we went to school with doing it. Obviously, you're going to bleep the name out. Sure, can It's somebody that we went to school with and I was hanging out with them in my 20s and they start- we all started doing it and it was funny. Right. So I think I, th- I, think I do owe him a writer's credit for that <laughs> joke. While also bleeping his name out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because obviously that, that guy doesn't need to be like... Oh, some fucking dudes I went to school with have been talking about me on a podcast. That's a bit weird. About a thing that I don't remember at all. Because <laughs> it happened 10 years ago. So in advance, there's going to be a lot of that if you're wondering. So the two biggest names in superheroes, uh, the oldest. Do you think they're the biggest names? 
Oh, for sure. Now, yeah. Like, Nothing Spider-Man has overtaken them. I, may, You can make an argument for it. Like, mm. absolutely. They're, like, collectively, they are the top three. Like, no one else is in that top three league. Yeah, except for maybe post-MCU Iron Man. No, I wouldn't even... I think Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man are cultural like touchstones like it, it, it's weird if people don't know you who don't see grown men in iron man pajamas but a grown man in batman pajamas you're just like yeah that's a thing that's a weird example to go by <laughs> like, i think no I, I, th- I think it's a perfect analogy i'll put it this way i think if you did a poll of how many people recognized each each name like if you took like 20 super logo yeah logo or name or whatever I think you would have out of a hundred, you like ninety-nine would know those three. And then like the tier after that would be like your MCU populars, yeah. X-Men, uh the Hulk, like those ones would be the next level, but they are the trinity of the superheroes. Yeah, they kind of are, aren't they? So and maybe there's arguments for including some others in there, but I think collectively, like that's the kind of agreed upon. Like, I mean, merch and sales alone, like those are the three tops easily. You can't walk in a Primark without seeing something Batman or Superman, can you? Yeah, and it's been that way for even well before the MCU popularity. Yeah. So I think that's a that's kind of the measure we're going by. And because Batman and Superman are significantly older than Spider-Man, I think that's what drew us to kind of think, and they they actually, as we found out, were created very close to each other in terms yeah. of time. So chronologically, they 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 are very similar ages, while also being the two oldest. Yeah. So we thought, let's have a look at their first appearances and the kind of comic scene at the not so much the larger scene, but like the actual comic that they came in, what yeah. that tells us about the scene at the time and everything, um, and then just jump straight to modern day. So yeah. we've just found a couple of one comic each uh from released either yeah both from this year i think one was from february and one was from like this month yeah so we're jumping right from birth to modern day like just let's have a look at both see how they've changed i think there's gonna be a lot of confusing stuff in modern ones that i was gonna like give you some input on and to be honest with you i'm not i didn't really follow the stories of either of the comics super closely Hmm. What I was looking for was stylistic differences and differences in the way that stories progressed and differences in the character themselves. So I was really reading with an eye towards character and not towards story. So I know exactly what you mean. I, I When reading, I thought I'm not going to review or look at this the same way as we normally do a title. But I did look a little closer at the story because there were some themes that made me think oh, this is like the modern, this is where we are right now with the character, like what kind of stories they're they're telling with them. So we'll get into that. Like, do first question we have to address: How, what kind of format do we go in? Do we go both old ones and then both new ones, or do we go Batman old Batman new Superman old Superman new? You know, or vice Let's versa. Let's start in the late thirties. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about the late thirties and then we'll talk about the early twenties. Okay, we'll do it that way. Okay, fair ninety enough. years apart. So, should we start with the very first Action Comics number one? Yeah, Action Comics number one, dude, and mm. like. Obviously, we weren't reading original copies of this. We were reading absolutely scans. not, no, because um, that would cost upwards of million pound dollars, something. I like imagine that. a. I imagine the first appearance of Superman would be worth a lot of money. So I've got it here. So uh, the uh, last sale on August twenty fourth, twenty fourteen, a copy graded nine by CGC. So grades of mint condition uh, comic books. Nine is like the top level, I guess you could go. No. Uh, Really? So it was a 10? 
So the the best one is a nine, which tells you something in itself. Yeah, I know about this because of card grading. Right. Um, a gem mint ten is pack fresh. Right. Yeah. So from for a comic that is, do some quick maths here. Nearly a hundred years old. Nearly a hundred years. Right, let's let's work out eight seven fifteen. 85 years old so an 85 year old comic the best they could do is a grade nine which is incredibly impressive impressive because the comics at that time the entire function of them and for decades after was buy it read it chuck it like that was what they they were for they were transitory so the fact that there's a whole thing with like collector's items being that cross-section of things that people care about now but no one gave a shit about at the time and that's what leads to limited resource and it being valued so highly so this was sold in uh 2014 on ebay surprisingly for three million two hundred seven thousand eight hundred fifty two us dollars which i get if you've got free mil kicking about that you can spend however you want the first appearance of superman pretty good place to spend that money i'd say it was the first comic to have sold for more than three million so yeah. there was like already a bar there of yeah. like just under three mil and obviously as they've got less and less or restricted supply, they've obviously just increased in value. And I imagine there'll be some early Stanley signed stuff that would go for a pretty penny. But I would say in terms of collectible comic books, I would imagine the first appearance of Superman or Batman would be the absolute upper echelon that we're ever going to see of collectible course. comic books. So the format, like the first thing notable, the first notable thing of this is the format of this is entirely different to comics today because it's a it's an anthology of stories yeah i know right did you uh, you didn't for the purpose of today neither of us read any of the other stories did we i had a closer glance through one of them which i'll I'll get into why in a bit but the first time i read action comics one i did sit and read the whole thing right and like the cowboy stories were great (laughs) like i wish cowboy comics had stayed a thing and Mm. you know marvel and dc both had like huge runs of westerns because they were fun well there's a big thing now about how people are saying that the superhero genre is going to go the way of the western because western films were extremely popular for like what the six, 60s 70s and maybe 80s like 60s and 70s most 60s 70s, and then just kind of died off so people are theorizing that superheroes could go the same way mm. but whereas i'm more of the mind and i think a lot of people are similar as well i think it's just now a genre like, I think it's like, I don't think it's going to die like Westerns. I think it's just going to be a genre that is a bit more malleable than a Western. I think a Western is a little more rigid in like what it has to be to be a Western. Super, we've already seen, can go quite a bit of a way. In fairness, though, I think what's interesting is that a lot of the conventions of the Western came to define the way that the MCU would look in a roundabout way. Yeah. Through Star Wars. Because Star Wars mm. was a spaghetti western set in space. A spaghetti western space opera. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a spaghetti western set to the backdrop of space. And I would argue that the way the um, Star Wars films looked and felt really defined what a cosmic action thriller could look like. And obviously the MCU really did become a cosmic action thriller. And so it does have some of the conventions of a spaghetti western. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think what's happening right now in comic book films is going to be influential in cinema for the next hundred years. Oh, definitely. I the- think I think the MCU I think I think we're seeing some of the conventions of the MCU trickle down into other action films. Mm. Action films look different now than they did before the MCU. Been referred to as the Marvelization of cinema. Yeah. It's a big 100%. topic. Now. Um, and so, they, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's likely that actually we're going to see the 
actual superhero genre itself drop off a little bit hmm. but it's left its mark on cinema and it's I, left its mark on modern cinema i think he'll always be about to an extent because again like like i said westerns are quite rigid whereas with the super genre you might not have the traditional person gets powers or sue or whatever and then there's a villain and they have to beat the villain and win the day i think it's going to extend to like any kind of content that has powers for example or someone like it's going to i think merge more with action yeah but you're gonna but superhero action i think is going to be a class in itself where it's going to be such a wide genre where like if anyone has powers or anything that just gets put to superhero but they don't have to be an enemy or a villain or stuff like that i think that's the way it's going to go i think it's going to get watered mm. down but i don't think it's going to disappear as much as like western and disco did you know <laughs> disco man disco never died the only reason people have to say that is because it died. <laughs> if something didn't die, you wouldn't have a bunch of people. Like, it's not dead. It's not dead. <laughs> Disco's great. I nope. love Disco. No one's saying about anything else. Yeah, you're not, you're not bopping to Chic in a nightclub, are you? Put it this way: what are they? What are the other things that that gets said about? Elvis. <laughs> almost certainly dead. Definitely shot himself to death on the toilet. Yes. <laughs> so. Again, action comics, a great place to start in terms of like superhero history, arguably the start mm. of superhero history. I think there might have been superheroes like around that like may have happened before or after, but it feels like Superman kind of hit like a zeitgeist of like being very moral and, you know, righteous and appealing to the time where there's very nationalistic kind of um I think, sensibility. Yeah. I think what interested me most about this very early iteration of Superman is that he's a bit more aggressive. Yes. Yeah. And his moral compass is a little bit less rigid than we've come to expect from Superman. He he is I think he is a more rugged ideal of the all American hero. He's he's an all American hero that hasn't quite been sanitized for the American right yet. And I think what really interested me about these two early comics and you know, I'm going to talk about Batman a little bit now, but we can talk about Batman properly in a minute, yeah. is that the Batman stuff was a bit more campy and kitschy, and Batman was a little bit more sanitized. Superman was a bit more gritty. And actually, we've seen that flip, reverse, and change through the revolution into the 21st century. And now Batman is considered the kind of grittier of the two, and Superman is the kind of safer option almost. Like, Super Superman's almost had his fangs taken out a little bit. Well, I think it's fair to say that any character that lasts any amount of time, there's always going to be noble differences yeah, between how they start and totally. how they kind of found their footing later on. And these characters especially have changed a lot in every decade, I would say. They've obviously built up these conventions and stuff that apply to their specific characters. We're talking about two specific snapshots. What we're not talking about is all the iterations in between. Yeah. Um, because literally eight decades in between yeah because there's definitely like they definitely camped batman up for like the adam west era batman mm. and you know in the 1960s adam west it was all very kitsch and very campy um and then it became really gritty in the 80s and 90s with like alan moore's famous batman run and uh tim burton with the films yeah absolutely and so these characters have been through so many iterations but i thought it would be really interesting to just bookend it and say yeah. well this is what we got originally and this is what we get now yeah and so this is never going to be a full rundown of the evolution of batman and superman that's going to be the six hour video we add to the to channel in a few years well, it time. would take that long wouldn't yeah. it like to to run through all of the iterations these characters have been through would take us hours and it would take hundreds of hours of reading 
If you're challenging me to read hundreds of hours of comic books, I guess I'll just have to Dude, can you imagine can you imagine plugging through all of the Batman runs from like the fifties and sixties? Impossible. Like Like, I think at best you would have to just take like snapshots from each year. Yeah. And be like, okay, so these are a couple of issues from nineteen seventy two, a couple of issues from nineteen seventy three. Like you just have to kind of go through like that. But even that would be a huge undertaking, and I think you'd be selling yourself short. Like, I think to actually do it, you just need to read all of it. <laughs> I mean, someone out there has. And if you're listening, give us a shout. <laughs> yeah, because we would love to pick your brains about some stuff. So right off the top, I think, again, what's interesting is because it's an anthology, obviously there's a lot of creators in this, like, this actual full comic. So all I've got here is notably the creator of Superman. So the writer and artist is Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. So they are credited with you know, creating Superman for this comic. What's interesting is I did find that originally he wasn't even meant to be in the first issue. It was just, it was a last minute kind of like, oh shit, we need something. And I think I read somewhere that they were kind of like, ooh, superheroes is a thing. Like, let's do a superhero one. And again, just Superman just caught on. And I don't, I think superheroes before Superman, it wasn't, Superman became the template. So a clear idea is like, don't they have the specific example, but what I noticed, again, not jumping too ahead, but in the Batman one, there was another superhero in that Detective Comics issue. Yes, so, there was, wasn't there? So superheroes at that point, I think, were like anyone who might have been masked and maybe had powers, maybe not, but anyone, uh, vigilanteism, I think, yeah. was just before superheroes. Because even before then, you had like Zorro, which is a big influence on yes. Batman. So you had those kind of superheroes and the Shadow and like early ones like that. So one of the things that really struck me about this early Superman is that he was involving himself in low-level street crime in a way that you'd expect from like the Punisher or Daredevil or Spider-Man. That really isn't the Superman that we know now. Superman is not kicking someone's door down to beat somebody up for domestic violence. Also, trigger warning, domestic violence. Like, they went there. They sent that. I mean, that was a point of the story. And I think at that point, it was just like... It was a thing that wasn't spoken in as hushed tones, but uh, unfortunately, it wasn't considered as serious at the time. Well, like that's the problem. Well, this is what surprised me about it is that it was even considered an issue. One example I was just doing a quick Google. Another big example of early um, superheroes is the Green Hornet, who started as a radio show or radio play. So he started in the 30s as well uh, with a radio debut. And so there were superheroes who were just mass vigilantes before Superman. Was the point I was going to make. But in terms of the stories of the of Super, Superman story in action comics, I was genuinely shocked by what he was doing. Yeah. If you would ask me with before reading it, if you would ask me to guess what kind of thing he'd be doing, I would have been like foiled a bank robbery, saved a woman who was tied to the train tracks, yeah, um, saved a a plane that was falling out of the sky, like classics, like really early classics of Superman. I would not in a million years have guessed that he was knocking on the door of the mayor or yeah, the governor the governor being like you've got this woman on death row i've got a signed <laughs> confession from proving she didn't do it. it's like what are you fucking ali mcbeal like what is this <laughs> it was surprising wasn't it um never would have guessed that this was his his superhero journey there was an undercurrent theme of respect for women though right like so that there, there were three main story beats in that first story one of them was him saving a woman from death row the second was him rescuing a woman from a domestic violence instance and the third was him beating up a bunch of blokes who tried to kidnap lois lane well there's a fourth one as well which you're gonna get into which is very surprising but let's let's cover those first three yeah so the first one he has already broken the woman out of prison 
it seems. I couldn't quite tell. Yeah, and then he goes and then she carries her straight to the governor's, the mayor's, whoever's mansion. It's like, right, wait here. I'm going to get you released. Isn't that what he does? No. So he goes to the mayor because then the mayor calls death row and you see her begging for her life on death row. So the mayor, the governor physically calls the death row off like the, you know, the gloves on death row. He was carrying a woman to the to the mansion. Was he? I've I've got to double check this because I was confused. I was hoping you were going to know. We did very diligent work here. (laughs) I'll edit it to make it seem like we knew immediately. Oh, what a legend. Yeah, he's carrying a woman who's tied up with a thing around her mouth, uh, like a, a scarf or bandana or something around. And he literally is like, the, is it, the governor's estate finally is reached. And he's like, make yourself comfortable. I, have, I haven't time to attend to it. What? Oh, yeah. No, you're so right. So he's just carrying a woman. It's not even addressed if this is the woman who, who he is there to exonerate or not. Yeah, I mean, it could be the person that he's caught who actually did the murder. It it could be, and it's again, it's not addressed. No, it yeah, there's plot holes here, aren't there? Or the, for the first superhero story, they might have just <laughs> fallen through the cracks a little bit. I mean, I I really loved this panel where hmm. he's got the um, governor's manservant and he's holding him over his head but he's just holding them by the belt of his dressing gown. Hmm. And I'm looking at it going, that would be quite easy to escape from. <laughs> I mean, like depends if you've ever how tried to grip. Keep a, well, if you've ever tried to keep a dressing gown on, you'd know that they're not known for being a sturdy garment, are they? But it, it does look like he's holding it at the front. So that's at the tie. Like yeah, where I it suppose comes, it is, he could, isn't it? He could be literally holding the lock pick, the <laughs> lock piece of the, of the dressing gown to hold it still. There's definitely a feeling here, which I think is the spawn of the superhero genre, which is injustice and having this power to fight against it for to save innocent people did like, you notice the key thing that he doesn't do yet he doesn't well there's a lot of key things he doesn't fly yes i did he make a note of jump that. really far yeah uh, not fly it's weird seeing him not fly and yeah. yeah he just jumps over and what's weird as well is they go really specific in the ant and the crickets well, they, they literally go he's proportionally stronger than an ant and proportionally can jump higher than grasshoppers and it's like that was really specific way of being like, he's really strong and can jump far. Yeah, I suppose they needed people to suspend their disbelief, didn't they? But they also specifically state he can leap one eighth of a mile. <laughs> like, <laughs> which isn't that far. No, and I get like by comparison, like he got stronger as he went on because he became more fantastical as superhero. Yeah. But it's so specific. If they're just like, like he can run faster than a, than an express train, which later became like a speeding train, which then later became a speeding bullet. So yeah. they, they extended where he could run faster than. Saying he's faster than an express train, fair enough. Like at, at that time, it would have been like, wow, express trains are really fast. So imagine someone running faster than that. That's crazy. And I love but the... The way they're like, one eighth a mile. Like, <laughs> Somebody agonized over that number. So I was like, one sixth? Like, don't, don't be ridiculous. Like, calm, <laughs> calm it down. <laughs> One ninth? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> a little bit more than that. That's not enough. You'd never get over the building. Just keeps turning down one seventh and one ninth. I feel like you want us to say one eighth. I feel like that's where you're getting us to. I love that also his skin can't be pierced by anything less than a mor- shrapnel from a mortar. So they, they said a bursting shell. So nothing less than a bursting shell could penetrate his skin. And again, I, I assume that was maybe a common thing. At the time, like the express train, the people are like, oh, that's a good measure of whatever. It is weird that they were just, it seemed like maybe it was too unrelatable if he was too powerful at that time. 
Like, yeah. If they were like, he can fly and super speed, like speed of sound and nothing can, because be, you know, he's bulletproof. People would have been like, is a literal god now. Yeah, like, yeah, 100%. Like, very godlike. Um, a shell would have been a very recognisable thing for a lot. You mean like a mortar shell? Yeah. Right. And you think this is the late 1930s, we're just going into World War II. A lot of the audience here would have either survived the Great War or had parents who survived the Great War. So a shell would be Or as be they like... called it at the time, World War One. <laughs> I very specifically used the right yeah, term. That's what made me think was why are you saying one? <laughs> um and so yeah, I, I imagine like, you know, shell shocked was a common ex- uh, term from the time for PTSD, wasn't it? Um they're a yeah. bit shell shocked. Um so yeah, I imagine that would have been a really like quite potent cultural cultural touchstone for a lot of people at the time. Yeah, and yeah, this stuff is all relative. It's just interesting that they had to kind of pick a specific level to, for whatever reason. They just felt this was like fantastical enough, but not ridiculous, I guess. Yeah, and so there's some interesting, there's some interesting stuff happening here that would have flown under the radar at the time that now reads a little bit weird. Oh, yeah. Um, So the idea of Clark Kent presenting as like a wimp or a weakling. There's a lot of toxic masculinity here. So I think with that, and that that has been around since quite recently. Not toxic masculinity. That's always that's still around, obviously, to an extent. But I think the it was appealing at the time. It in the thirties way of the. Do you feel powerless in your everyday life? Like play to the fantasy of like. But imagine if you were secretly a superhero. And it also what especially plays into it as a kid who got into superheroes. I think that's a very common thing of like. If you're not overly popular or, you know, like loads, like if you feel a bit isolated in you know normal life to have this fantasy of like, no one here knows I'm secretly a superhero. Yeah, totally. And, and that extends as well to like, the, there's a thing with men and like pretending to be spies. Yeah. Like there's a thing I think there was a Reddit thing where I think women discovered or some women discovered the all like a lot of men. There's the thing recently with the Roman Empire that was like, a, that was a meme for a while. <laughs> Yeah. But, but on top of that, I think another version of that is most men have imagined being in just some benign situation. They've gone, I think if terrorists suddenly came in through the door, I think I could handle the situation yeah, pretty 100%. well. Like, I would just judo chop and I'd probably <laughs> do a backflip. Like, you can't do a backflip in normal life. Like, made a whole fucking video about it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> do it. Should we leave him in? Like, give him any credence? We'll just, we'll just bleep his name out like we always do. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> But yeah, I think it plays that, and this is that 30s version of it, isn't it? Like, are you weak and bad with women? Like, that's the 30s version. Like, well, imagine if you were bloody Superman, you could beat up a bunch of bad people. So, and that that carried through for at least like 50, 60 years after this. So just getting into the nuts and bolts of it and the stuff we would normally talk about, because I think that's interesting as a retrospective. Mm. Love the artwork. I really enjoy the artwork. It's I, great. I What I find very interesting is like, they're not great at depicting darkness when it's outside. <laughs> well, they are. But they didn't actually. have many colors on the printers back then. That's the thing. They could really only use like black for the background. Yeah. But tell you what, they do a better job of this, of depicting darkness in this, than the Batman in Detective Comics a year after. Right. That one is like broad daylight. like in the dead of night, Batman runs to the sea. It's like, <laughs> what are you on about? And that, that was a problem up until bloody 80s. Because really? I read a, I read a um, very well-known comic, Death of death in the family and it's the one where jason todd robin uh, gets murdered by the joker right 
that was from the 80s and then literally like decades later in like the noughties i think they then brought him back as the red hood but for a while he was one of those characters like stays dead. dead yeah um so i read that 80s comic and there's and i've mentioned it before you'll laugh then you'll probably laugh again now it takes place like in afghanistan or iraq oh, for yeah, some reason talked about joker this. literally steals a nuke yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But so they're literally going across the desert in a Middle Eastern country. I can't remember specifically which one, but they're going across the desert and it's literally like bright blue sky, like in the background. It's like in the dead of night, like Batman crosses the desert. So even in the 80s, they still land quite worked out. But in this 1938 action comics number one, they do a decent job. Yeah, it looks good. How did they get it right? And maybe not right, but how did they get it decently in 1938? And then just completely bungle it for like years after. Yeah, because they they use all this cross hatching, don't they? Yeah, and fair, it's like a very rudimentary way of doing it, but it does the job. And do you know what? All the things that I get upset about in modern comic books, like faces looking bad and that kind of stuff, we're working with less detail here. There are fewer lines. They're 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 portraying the face with maybe five core lines. You've got a mouth, a bottom lip, a nose, a cheek line, some eyes and some ears. Like the most rudimentary way to draw a face. But it all looks good. I think it's it's really hard to give it a proper justification, like a proper comparison of how good it is for the time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how good it is for the time, but it looks good. Like it, re- the pe- it scans really beautifully. And like the backgrounds where there are backgrounds are quite nicely rendered. A lot of the time you're just seeing a yellow or orange background or a green background with nothing on it. But when there are backgrounds, they're quite nicely rendered. Like it looks good. It looks like it looks good for me looking back because but I think I'm getting a lot of that nostalgic. Like, wow, first Superman. Like as a superhero fan, I'm I'm like looking at it with maybe a different eye to someone who's just like likes art and was like, hey, how does this art look? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm a dirty casual, aren't I? Let's be honest here. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, scrolling through the rest of the stuff in Action Comics 1, it's all much of a muchness. Like, it all looks pretty similar. Mm. Um, and so I, I wouldn't say that, you know, if, if, you, if you were picking up a copy of Action Comics 1 in 1938 and you were just reading it, I don't think Superman would have necessarily popped out that much compared to everything else. But it's also the only property in it that survived. Well, one thing I noticed as well, when I, I did scan through the rest of the comic, just to be like, hey, what, what generally is this? And one thing I noticed, especially more so in detective comics, for obvious reasons, but to an extent in action comics, most of the people are guys in suits. Yeah. Like, that is most of it. So I think in this instance, Superman pops out because he's wearing a bright blue costume with red pants on the outside. Yeah. So... And that that became a staple of the superhero genre. The outsiders have always been like, why is he wearing his pants on the outside? And, and I, there's some art reason for it. I can't remember off the top of my head. There's some like where distinguishing his torso from his legs was a an important thing yeah. for some reason. But I think, yeah, I think he pops out now because you just look at the characters. Like he's like nothing you've seen before. So one of the things that you have, you have to consider really carefully when you're creating a cartoon character, whether this be for still images or for uh, animation, is that you need an interesting silhouette. Right. And so that will probably be where the cape came in, I would argue. I would argue the cape is there to add a bit more interest to his silhouette. But yeah, without without the red underwear breaking up his legs and his torso, he would just become quite blocky. I think the main function of the cape, in my opinion, is to um, add to showing movement. So yeah, these were possibly. Char- these were characters, even Batman, who can't fly. He's still like jumping around and he's leaping into like fights and stuff like that. 
So I think I think it's, it's dual purpose. It shows his movement, and you can pick that character. Your, your eye draws to that character because their shape is larger. Should we talk about Batman? I think there's a little more in Superman. To yeah, get cool. Across. So you're saying about the types of stories. Like for one thing, we get the sad sack Clark Kent somehow going on a date with Lois when Lois is like. I guess I can't avoid you any longer kind of thing. Which is totally the way that courtship happened back then. Yeah. I do like that Lois is quite an independent woman in this. Yeah, I was surprised. Totally. I thought she was going to be a much watered down, just female love interest. I mean, she punches that dude in the face. Exactly. Lois might be one of the original, like, strong female characters in um, in superhero genre. Yeah. And I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised by how like much she stood up for herself and... Even like going on a date with Clark is because she felt sorry for him. And to the extent where they're mid-date and they're mid-dancing and he literally says to her, why do you always avoid me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, buddy. Oh, (laughs) my guy. And like, you know, to jump forward a little bit. And I think I think we can do that a little bit before we talk about the modern ones. Yeah. They have sex Clark Kent up. For the modern era. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. he is a fucking hunk of a man in a baseball but, cap. But he was a hunk in this by 30 standards. Yeah, I suppose he was. Yeah, I mean, he's a... And compared to the other male character models on on the page, he's a big dude. Yeah, he's he's definitely... He's ha- he's always been handsome. Like, he's always been the, the epitome of male physique and, you know, like perfection although he does look like a man in his mid-70s at points but that's that's the disguise that's the art yeah yeah, and that's the art style isn't it and there is a fun thing like i haven't read much superman comics like barely any if i'm being honest i've always kind of tendentially been interested in the character yeah but for me like uh, when i was growing up and getting into superheroes for me he was the oh you've given one character all the superpowers it was like the kid when you were role-playing is like I have all the powers. And you're like, shut up. Like that yeah. to me was what Superman was. I've been enlightened since then. Like what the nuance of the character is like in the modern day, like how they've made it more interesting. But one thing I've always enjoyed since, just, since understanding about it is, is the difference between Superman and Clark Kent. Yeah. The intentionally, like there's always been the thing of like, how does wearing glasses hide your identity? And the whole point is meant to be one. It's, if that's the thing you're going to nitpick at in this where a guy can fly and super strength and everything, like, come on, really? Yeah. But it's a contrivance that, here are, that fans of superheroes just take because he's so different as, as Superman uh, compared to Clark Kent. Yeah. Clark Kent is a meek wimp of a man because he has to protect this, this personal life he has. And it's that personal life that, as you say, later on becoming a god, essentially... That is what grounds him to his humanity. Yeah, totally. And, and it also restrains himself. Like he has to be that guy who maybe gets into situations and cut, like chooses not to use his powers. So the meek Clark Ken, he's like always hunched over when Superman's yeah. always standing up. Uh, his hair is like more messy and rougher where Superman's is slicked back. Yeah. So all these things, it, what it's meant to get across is no one would look at Clark Ken and think he could be Superman. Totally. Um, what's great I love as well is that Lex Luthor the, the running thing with him is that for all the time he doesn't know because there's a bunch of times he does know or he yeah. finds out but a lot of time where he doesn't know that Clark Kent is Superman it's because he grew up with in some iterations he grew up with Clark Kent uh, and he yeah. cannot he literally cannot reconcile the, this wimp of a man who who he puts himself so many degrees above could ever be superman his arch nemesis he just refuses to acknowledge that that could even be a thing and again this first iteration no lex Luthor, no Mm. no super villains we haven't really come up with the idea of a super villain yet well one of the biggest villains which i was mentioned earlier was going to get into is the last story which is a to be continued 
is Superman versus a lobbyist. Yeah. And I was like, is this how people viewed lobbyists back then? Well, yeah, and I did. And you know what? If I'd had more time, I would have done some research on that. But I suppose by the 1930s, there was generally already a sense that tobacco was bad for us. Not in the public eye, but on a scientific level, we kind of knew. Um, and so the tobacco industry would have been lobbying government pretty hard at this point. By the late 30s, early 40s, I feel right. like the tobacco industry would have already been lobbying. Do you think maybe the artistic portion of society were more in tune with like, with like, hey, society and government, you know, and like yeah, lobbyists, I, you know, that kind of thing? I mean, it was around this time that Monopoly was invented. And Monopoly, I don't know if you know much about the inception of the game Monopoly. It was made. It was meant to be a critique of capitalism, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so, fact that one person wins over everyone else was meant to be like, this is why the system is bad. Exactly that. It was created by take a, back the means of production. Yeah, it was. So it was created in 1904, um, and she revised the game. The woman who created it, uh, Lizzie G. Magee, uh, revised her patent in 2024. 20, and so you know, these ideas would have been becoming quite zeitgeisty at the time. And it was essentially a teaching tool to show, to demonstrate two things. One of which is that in a capitalist society, inherently all the wealth will trickle up to one person. Yeah. And in a more um, agrarian socialist society, a game of Monopoly never finishes because everyone just has enough money. Yep. Yeah. And, and she had two rule sets and it was meant as a teaching tool for economics lectures. Um, and so, yeah, this idea that big business was in some way bad would have already been circulating in certain circles. I don't know that it necessarily would have been a prevalent idea among the core audience for these types of comics. I mean, this is the thing, though. Like, is it the creators who are just, like, putting their thing in, and this is how kind of ideas disseminated in in culture this is why you had people suddenly rebelling against like oh these kids reading comics these days it's like it wasn't because of the violence it was because of the maybe political leanings of the people who created them the writers and artists who maybe weren't the most pro-capitalist because really you start to see that anti-capitalist sentiment gain traction in american culture in the 50s and 60s yeah so it's beat poets and then the rock and roll movement and the hippies that really first start to bring these ideas into American culture where they're saying maybe rampant capitalism isn't good for us as a society. And obviously it's a fairly well-accepted idea now. And then we everyone else went, burn them. Burn them, I want a Smeg refrigerator. Yeah. Um, because it was the 1950s when American consumer goods became super affordable. Like, it wasn't until post-war that you had a refrigerator in every American household. It wasn't until like the 60s, 70s that that became a thing in the UK. Mm. Like Americans had cars and refrigerators and big fucking houses and TV sets and radios as standard by about the 1950s. You like went to work every day and had an okay job. You probably had all those things by that point. Whereas in Britain, you know, people were still had pantries and stuff like that. It, we were the opening scenes of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when there was like four um grandparents in one bed that was like britain at that time wasn't yeah, it? yeah i mean Brit- britain still had rationing until the early 60s like yeah britain continued wartime rationing all the way through the 50s whereas in america it was boom time people were buying cars all that kind of jazz uh, like my dad remember my dad was born in 1967 and he remembers the first house he grew up in not having an indoor toilet jeez like i am outhouse 
Yeah, 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 literally. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we're from Norfolk and that would have affected it. I imagine if you grew up in London, it might have been a bit different. But in Britain, as, as a reference point in Britain, I'm only one generation away from not having indoor plumbing. Mm. Whereas in America, that would have been like three or four generations back, you know? Depending on what class of society you are part mm. of. I think it's an important aspect there. Speaking of the economics of, of all this, one thing I noticed while I, I made this note on Superman, so I'm going to say it here, it's about the old comics generally. But the the price of 10 cents a comic, like naturally that's... Quite expensive. That's, well, compared to today, I actually did a little maths on this. So 10 cents for a comic, that is an anthology series. So it makes up a total of 67 pages of, of comic. And 67 pages that we're just getting of pure like story like it's all stories there's like maybe one ad at the end yeah so 67 pages of stories for a 10 cents that 10 cents by today's money so adjusted for inflation you would you do you adjusted it for inflation adjusted I like for that. inflation is two dollars and 18 cents so that's cheap that's half the price of comics going now which generally around four to five dollars somewhere somewhere in the middle of those and probably about 20 to 30 pages like 23 pages of story with a couple of ads in as well so what by by today's standards comics were very cheap back then you're paying twice the much for a third of the content and a lot of that is advertising exactly so what the reason i did all this i'm not really making a point because i acknowledge that i don't know enough to say one way or the other, where you know what this means, we're not we're not econom- economists, economists. Well, especially we don't we're not publishers of comics. Like I think that's yeah. the main thing. It's like what is the cost of producing comics in this day and age compared to back then? But one thing I will say is, um, it does raise the question: like, is the process more expensive? Like, is well, that the reason? Because if it's not, then some other questions will be raised off that. I would argue that because of the endearing popularity of comic books, they're now a luxury item printed any kind of printed magazine is now a luxury item and comic books are now printed to be a bit more sturdy because they are it is widely acknowledged that they're collector's items now and so I, I imagine a modern comic book would be printed on a higher grade of paper stock because these would have been printed on pulp wouldn't they you I mean, stopped I don't, engaging I, with me sorry i, I was trying to find something <laughs> i don't know yeah i that this is what i mean by i don't know enough to say like what the paper quality is what it's, the the, pr- the printing press process whether that affected anything in as terms a of the bibliophile price. who has also been a librarian in his life i'm gonna call it that based on the yellowing of that paper and the grain texture that i'm seeing on the photographs of the paper this would have been printed on pulp i'm calling it that that looks like pulp to me so the the theory might be that it, the reason they're more expensive is because they are literally made of like stronger materials. They're to, made that of last high quality longer. paper. Paper's more expensive now as well. Yeah. So and again, that could be the entire reason. And fair enough. Like if if that's the reason, then great. We're also. I would be really interested to see what the pandemic did to the cost of printed comic books. I mean, it, the price hasn't changed, but it's definitely changed the the popularity of buying physical comics for sure. Well, because the cost of paper went up during, the, particularly in Europe. I don't know what mm. it's like in America. Um, but the cost of paper went through the fucking ceiling because um, so much of the production had to stop. Yeah. And so paper mills could just charge more because it was a more scarce product. I am surprised that physical comics are as still as popular as they are. I'm surprised they haven't moved almost entirely to digital mm. yet. I'm glad. I like being able to go into comic book stores and I'm glad they're still open and that there's still that physical culture there. Um, I'd be interested to see what the numbers are of like digital versus uh, 
physical comics. Yeah, totally. And we've talked about yard boxes and the complications of collecting yes. comics a bunch of times, haven't we? That is one thing I saw recently. It was like, I saw some comic creators kind of com- like arguing and debating why sales were less recently mm. and i saw a lot of arguments that were like well marvel and dc are churning out a lot more titles than they've ever done before a lot of them are kind of naff like they're not that great in quality um and there are those are points that i agree with i bet there's i bet there's an element of option paralysis in the buying community well not i think people have their stuff that they buy like that, that might be true i i would be quite to guess maybe not i was going more of the route of just if, if times are tough right now like everyone yeah. is has less spending money and comic books are one of the first things that you would cut out if you were tightening the belt and well, i i didn't see anyone raising that point point. and this and i think this is the difference and this is a technological technological thing which is that in 1938 maybe your comic books wouldn't be the first thing that you stop buying in the same way that now your netflix subscription probably wouldn't be the first thing you would tighten up on yeah uh yeah whereas comic books have now gone from a primary source of entertainment for a lot of people which they would have been for a lot of people back in the day you know you'd you'd go in the morning you'd buy a 10 cent comic and that would be what you sat and read on your lunch break at work or whatever you know or in the evening you'd sit down with a comic and that would be your evening's entertainment whereas now it's like you're blitzing through a 20 ish a 20 page comic in an hour and it's five but it's five dollars or five pounds or whatever and it's not a primary source of entertainment it's not the most affordable bang for your buck entertainment anymore is it yeah whereas this would have been yeah and i do think I think as an industry, and this this a large conversation, I think we do need to start moving to more subscription-based models for comics. Yeah. The problem is like the the leading digital distributor, as we know, is Comixology, which you still have to buy like issue per issue or vol- an entire volume if that's been released by now. If you want it new, you have to buy issue by issue. Um, there needs to be and there is like Marvel Unlimited and DC has their ones where, you know, you can get them you can get more of a subscription and i honestly need to look into that because i think it might work out cheaper for us but i think there's there's there needs to be something in terms of like like i looked up image because i thought i didn't know i thought image must have some kind of like subscription or something no it's literally like digital comicsology or if you go to their website it's like here's the nearest comic book shop and like fair enough if you if like trying to support physical comic book shops i get that i just don't think it's going to be feasible in the future and imagine with image comics if you pay like 10 pound a month and you got all their new ones so again like the streaming services like you're not paying for each comic individually you save a lot by having the subscription and because it's so easy you get a lot more people who are like 10 pound a month and i get like the newest walking dead when that was running and like invincible like and, and all the else. back issues exactly and all of the back issues because that's where that's where the library that's where it would get me and that's where it would be infinitely useful for us is if we had that moment where it was like oh we just need to talk about a back issue of something we wouldn't have to track it down and buy the fucker we could just go oh i bet it'll just be on comiXology or whatever or on whatever subservice the, the problem is they are, they're all on comiXology but it's it's because it's, they're still charging the physical prices yeah no and you need to buy it what i mean mm. is if we just needed to dip into a single back issue of something for a reference mm. with a sub we could do that and it would be super affordable and super easy um and i and you know i I know i know a guy who works in publishing and he's been trying to do that for the magazine that he works for Mm. and it's really fucking difficult it's really challenging like just having the server space for all of those high-res files really expensive it's an expensive thing to do yeah that's why i say marvel and dc have definitely done it i I feel like image would benefit if they just took all their like hottest titles and you said if x amount a month you get all the walking dead all invincible 
all Savage Dragon, all Spawn, like everything that's like all You don't saga. even need hard, hard drive space because you're in essence streaming it. Exactly. Like you're, you're looking at online files. And because of the popularity of the, their biggest titles, like, like at one point it was mainly just Walking Dead in terms of mainstream like appeal. You, now you've got Invincible. Like Invincible is really hot. Like, and that's like, you just point to that and say, I'm, I need to double check that Invincible is image. I'm all, I'm like 99% certain I just had that, you know, that, that moment, that feeling in your brain was like, is this actually? But going back to what I was saying about Invincible is image, yes. Going back to what I was saying about how affordable comics would have been at the time, a standard hardback book in the late thirties would have set you back two dollars fifty, which would would have been the equivalent of forty quid. So now the average book is like what ten pounds? Give or a take. Hardback is twenty. A pa- okay. pa- paperbacks changed publishing. Yeah, and um, now that's like for individual comic issues. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, so a book, a, buying a book would have been like buying 20 of these, <laughs> 25 of them. Um, and so this would have been like bare, let, like the cheapest written entertainment you could probably get your hands on. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's a, that's a whole wider discussion. Maybe a video like, oh, that, that could be a good video for, for the oh, YouTube. Right. Oh, right. Oof. Ryan's fingers again. My itchy. SEO is like, oh, <laughs> that, could be a, that could be a good one. So Batman, the Batman title. Yes. I'm going to be honest with you. I felt that the Superman title was far superior. I think I preferred the Batman one. I struggled to follow it, man. It was a bit all over the place. I followed a bit more. So the Batman one, I think, is actually a little more closer to the modern day Batman, which we all get into. Superman, I was just kind of fascinated. Like I was was more like observing it. I felt like I was like, wow, this is different. Batman, I followed it more as like a traditional Batman story. I enjoyed the Superman one the same way I enjoyed how it's made. Which is like, I just took a step back from it and was like, wow, this is a beautiful artifact. It's like being in a museum. Yeah, You're seeing all the pages on a museum wall and you're like, wow, it's like that. Batman, I felt like I was just reading a story. Yeah, like I would totally, if somebody said that they'd blown this up and like, you know, got on a really clean like CGC Mint 9 copy and taken high res scans of it and blown them up and put them on a gallery wall... And you could just walk around a gallery and read this comic. I would go to that ex- yeah. exhibition. Like that would be a really fun exhibit. Like it was just like an old art piece. And like when you think of retro Americana and retro American art styles, that is what I think of. Like it, it was so synonymous with that style of art. When I got to Batman, I felt that the art was a lot more shaky. Like I didn't like the art as much in the Batman comic. I felt... Yeah, pretty much the same. Like the art, like I said, the nighttime depiction of Batman was not as good as Superman for yeah, some it reason. Was, it was ropey, which is weird because Batman, we, we think of it now as being inherently darker. Yes. And so actually, if you had a modern Batman run where they hadn't really nailed down their low light um, illustrations, it would just be unreadable, wouldn't it? Yeah. One thing I did forget to mention just very quickly, which is interesting, was one of the other stories in Superman. So there was one of the other stories which I looked a little into was um, there was a story about a magician called Zatara. Yeah. So that is a current DC character. No shit. Not quite a main character. So what happened was they took that character and they gave him a daughter called Zantana. Right. Zantana is like a main DC superhero. Oh, wow. And she's still canonically the daughter of uh zatara yeah and she does the same like magic she's got the magician get up but she does like actual magic with reverse talking so she says it backwards to do spells and stuff yeah 
um, and they are modern day. So I just, I thought that when I was reading, I was like, hang on, I know that. And so he's not the only one who survived. No, exactly. Yeah, that's rad. Zatara made it. What's in now modern day? Zatara is uh, most I've seen. He's uh, the the host of the Doctor Fate character. Right. So Doctor Fate is a ancient godlike sorcerer but he's trapped within a, a golden helmet yeah and the helmet needs to be worn by someone and uh, they become the host cool. but it's not like a mask thing or like thor's hammer where you just switch you know turn it on and off the ho- the uh, doctor fate is literally like i own your body now for as long as i want and what they do is they do a thing in monday where satara makes a deal with doctor fate where it's like i'll be your host you give me like one day a year where I can see my daughter, but you use my body for the rest of it. And the reason is, is because Dr. Fate is such a powerful sorcerer for good. So it's kind of like someone needs to take the bullet here. The greater good. Yeah, for the greater good. But someone needs to take the bullet because we need this guy on our team. Like we need someone. So that was a, I read that. I did the, it was the Leo meme. I was like, I know him, like pointing <laughs> at the comic. So yeah, just wanted to mention that. Um, De- detective comics as soon as i read it i had an inkling of like the reasons for the alter egos for the aliases for superman and, and batman yeah. superman as we said was very much the are you a wimp are you a coward well imagine if you were a superhero yeah batman i think the entire bruce wayne persona was because of the one specific reason of having this twist at the end of this comic yeah totally that was totally. the in- it's fascinating to be like this is going to be a thing for 85 years afterwards for reference for one m night Shyamalan twist <laughs> bruce wayne is a young socialite who just happens to be friends with um jim gordon jim gordon uh, and what's his name something gordon jim he gordon has a, no he has a title Bar- barbara he? gordon oh no, he, uh, commissioner gordon commissioner gordon and he just happens to be there smoking his pipe in his like smoking jacket chatting to commissioner gordon Getting all of the secrets that he then needs to go do his vigilante work. Well, what's especially funny that I made a note of was they're hanging out and then Jim's like, huh? Well, what's this? A murder? All right. I've got to go a murder. Do you want to come with? <laughs> totally. My ri- young rich friend. Well, he says, do you want to see a dead body? Speaking of exciting stuff, there's been a murder. Do you want to come? Do you want to have a gander? <laughs> And you know what? Like, I bet that shit happened back then. Unfortunately, yes. Like, like I made no of it. It's like, that's crazy. It's like, but yeah, probably the for the late time. late 30s. Like, that's how America was governed. There's, there's barely, a, there's, there might there might be no TV or barely any TV. I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure which. Either way, we need some excitement. Uh, I believe TV was possible, but definitely not widespread. So maybe the socialite Bruce Wayne might have, he'd be like, there's nothing on TV. And Jim was like, what? Like, <laughs> never mind. Let's just, let's go see the body. So... Yeah, I like that. And then uh, naturally you get this mystery. I felt like being from 85 years in the future, I was like, I know what's happening. 100% (laughs) that's how I felt reading it. I'd love to speak to someone in that time who read that and I want to be like, did you see that coming? Did you know or did you not know? Yeah, no. Were the conventions popular enough? Could you see through the obvious introducing a character then the reveal at the end i had the exact same thought which was was that i know what the fuck moment but again the, the, and the biggest reveal the biggest surprise reveal like of the 30s like Bruce suppose, Wayne is batman i suppose what we have to consider here is the fact that these weren't being read the same way they are now and batman wasn't this important character exactly yeah but it was still like a did it feel like a surprising twist like yeah totally because on the one i was like i can see you've taken like the 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 one character who's not had anything else to do in this story but was important in the beginning 
is then brought back at the end. Like, was that surprising or wasn't it? Yeah, totally. And like, it was a nice little pullback and reveal. Um, I think it framed the story quite nicely. Again, hmm. did not like the way this one looked. I don't. I don't think. I. I think they fucking nailed Superman's character model in the very first outing. I don't think Batman looks quite right here. And again, I in direct like a real stark comparison when they revealed Batman in the new one, he looked sick and it was like a full page spread and he looked mean and he looked imposing. Mm. And I'm like, oh, they've really. Like, in the 85 years, they've really gotten Batman right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, making him the dark vigilante to the bright day of Superman was... Because, again, Batman's story here was less gritty. Well, I mean, it was a bit darker. Like, there was a serial killer, essentially. Like, with with a plot. Like, it was very dark Batman for me. I suppose it felt like a murder mystery. Yeah, and and but then that doesn't mean it couldn't be dark and gritty for for the time. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it didn't feel particularly gritty to me. I felt like because it was a serial killer, I thought for thirties, I thought this was probably quite dark for the time. This was their, I don't know, we're trying to think what's dark and gritty now. Like, um, this yeah. is like their hereditary or something. I was about right? to say or like Halloween. Just the entire fucking timeline we're living in. Yeah, that's that, <laughs> but in a, just in a comic in there. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I su- and I suppose it's interesting because the concept of... Because they don't use the term serial killer. No. Because the idea of the serial killer is a very American invention in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a murder mystery, as, as you say. Um, I do like that they have the strong detective feel. And that feels redundant because it is Detective Comics, number 27, uh, oddly enough. But I do like that Batman has retained the detective aspect. That is something that got lost in a lot of the late, the earlier films. Oh, definitely. I mean, we've had one good detective Batman film. Which one do you think that is? Robert Pattinson. Yeah, I I, I was I was curious because you haven't seen that one. That's yeah, why I was but like, I've I've you've seen the trailer. I don't live under a rock. <laughs> like everybody's come to me and gone, "Wow, it was such a great detective film." Yeah, enough people say that to me, and I go, "It's probably a pretty good detective film." Detective noir, especially. Yeah. And maybe this was this was obviously less noir, but I like the detective aspect, and it's why like he has the name. He's called like the world's greatest detective. Like he's meant to be like the comic version of Sherlock. I don't know if noir was even codified as a genre at this point. It probably started with noir films, although there must have been noir story books and stories. No, I think noir is a cinematic term. That makes sense. It's like black and the black and white is the key aspect of it, isn't it? Yeah, one minute. I'm just gonna double check that. Um, While you're googling that, I will say I found the design, the original design with the bat ears on the side to be a bit distracting. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm glad they fixed that early on. Yeah, so film noir is a term that film noir is a term that came up in the 90s, 1940s and 50s, right, to describe a particular type of Hollywood detective movie. And so this predates all of the conventions of noir. Okay. And so I suppose... Could have been a precursor to it in a way. Yeah, possibly. But I suppose the idea of Batman as like a noir detective inherently has to have come later. It's a label that has to have been applied to him retrospectively. It probably came more in the Silver Age of the the 60s. Like it probably probably took what was popular and was like, hey, we can make Batman more like that. Not Superman, but we can make Batman Well, I suppose the thing with... But Batman in the 60s was camp. We've no, got... the, only the TV show. So the yeah. TV show intentionally was made camp because they were trying to appeal to kids and ev- as many people as possible. 
and they could merchandise and everything and on top of that as well yeah also tv had really like 60s tv had really strict standards what they could show yeah. this was back when married couples had two separate single beds yeah totally. that was Fuck, yeah people think generally that that used to be the actual way in real life because of that depiction and it's so crazy to think that everyone was like of course married people share a bed like that's insane to think otherwise and some studio executives were like we should for purity's sake we should probably have them in separate single beds so sharing a bed was actually not as common among wealthier people yeah but that's that's kind of niche isn't it for compared to the rest of the community you were probably watching like well, 60s television i mean pre-60s okay so we're talking like 15th 16th century oh that, that's way earlier like. um couples often wouldn't share beds and okay. it was only really poor people that had to share a bed yeah the idea of sharing a bed came in the 19th century when you had industrialized cities where they crammed a lot of people into a small amount of space right suddenly the dwellings had to get smaller and so you would have a master bedroom where everyone slept right but I mean, the television viewing audience of the 60s would have been like, why are they doing it like that? Yeah. Or they wouldn't know, but it still would have been like, that's weird. Um, I did find interesting that like you say that this wasn't as great as Superman. I did find that Batman was actually like killing people here or at least yeah. one person. Whereas Superman, I don't think he killed anyone, did he? No. He scared people. He thought They thought he was going to kill them. And Batman not killing is like a core facet of his character now, isn't it? And again, another thing that they were like, later on, like, let's add this and that'll be a staple of the character going forward. Probably came about much stronger, again, because of the Silver Age, when yeah. um, the Comics Code Authority yeah. was like, you can't do any of this stuff. That was when the Joker, uh, interestingly enough, like, wasn't killing people. I can't remember if this was the comics or the TV show. I think it might have been the animated show in the 90s. But there was a point where, and it's a similar topic, I think it was the TV show where they were like, this is a kid show, you can't show the Joker killing people, obviously. And he'd already been killing people in the Golden Age of comics. So, And that had been taken away in the Silver Age, but the Golden Age was still like, he was a, a murdering clown. So in the 90s TV show, they were like, all right, we can't keep, we can't have him kill people. What do we do? I know, let's have him make a Joker toxin that puts a permanent scary yeah. smile on people's faces. And More it was like, terrifying. That's so much worse. Great creation by the makers, like fantastic work. It's like the blood in Chinese cartoons, isn't it? Oh my God. Let's replace it all with spunk. That's so much better. <laughs> and if you want more of that, there's a short on TikTok and YouTube. For, <laughs> it goes into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. He he kills someone by knocking them into that ass, the vat of acid. Yeah. And again, what's interesting there is they're like, oh, we'll dispose of the body in the acid. That's how we'll get rid of it. And the Batman's like, actually, no, I'm going to punch you into the acid. And I think it's just assumed that the person died in it. But what I thought was fascinating was like the Joker didn't come about till quite a bit after. But that's the Joker's origin, like in the in specifically in the Alan Moore. In the Killing Joke. Killing Joke. So that is a now popular one. I wonder if he was influenced by this early original one. Because uh, if not, it's a crazy coincidence, mm. isn't it? Batman number one actions 27 action detective uh, detective comics 27 whatever but the first batman someone gets knocked into acid and then years later he has this like one on what like an antagonist to his protagonist into joker and then decades later alan moore's like i think he got knocked into a vat of acid but we're never told who this bloke is who gets kicked into the acid we is he like the hen he's the bad guy or the henchman is he's he? a henchman but he doesn't right. have a name right could be the Joker. Could be the Joker, yeah. Like and this is this is this is the Joker's origin story from a killing joke scene from Batman's perspective. <laughs> oh my god. Head cannon. Video idea. Yeah, right? Oh my god. <laughs> no one knows the the Joker actually 
origin happened in 1938. We can start our own conspiracy. I'm doing it now. <laughs> Get out there. Yep. No, we're calling it. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Retro. Re- you could retcon it. Be like, that was the Joker. Totally. Yeah. And you it's could totally retcon it. And that is part of the Joker ethos now. So uh, yeah, I'm happy with that. But yeah, it's interesting. The no killing thing became a thing later. And the, but at this time, they were just like, yeah, of course he killed someone. Like it's detective comics. People die, I guess. Like, I guess that was the thing at the time. So modern day stuff. One extra little thing. I thought you'd like uh, one of the other comics yeah. was a character called the Crimson Avenger, who was another superhero vigilante style yeah. character. And I did think, how interesting is it that, like, what's the whole multiverse theory? Yeah. There could be like a tiniest of action, like a wind change, and Crimson uh, Crimson Avenger could have been the Batman. For- the huge, because is Crimson, is Crimson Avenger not still about I, not that I know of. He might be, but I've not heard of it. If he is, I would suspect it's only because he was in this issue mm. of Action Comics and people are like, ooh, we could do something with this. And Somebody anyway. has done a run at some yeah. point just because. But he's definitely not recognized. Like, I recognized Zata- Zatara because of his daughter, Zantana. Like, but yeah, I've, I've not heard of Crimson Avenger. But it's weird to think it's like, it could have so close have been. And especially because Superman was like the cover of Action Comics. So he was big from the yeah. start. Batman's on the cover of Action Comics 27, but it's like the 27th issue. It's like... It's like this is just, a, new, this is just a random thing that we're throwing in for mm. this issue. We'll see if it works kind of thing. And initially, I said before about Superman being not the first choice for Action Comics. Yeah. Apparently, the reason was they, they scrambled to get something together because they wanted a strong image for the cover. Mm. And the image of Superman carrying the car, they were like, oh, this is great. There's, it was the 1930s version of the... We need a great thumbnail for yeah, this YouTube video. It's totally. like, we need this front cover and the Superman one popped and looks interesting. So that's why Superman was in that issue at all. And super colourful compared to everything else that was happening. There's no blue or red in anything else. It's all quite sepia toned, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Or black and grey. So yeah, now jumping 85 years into the future. It's, your into the future <laughs> voice is suspiciously similar to your spooky season voice. <laughs> it might just be one character. <laughs> That's just the narrator of the podcast. It's kind of an announcer, yeah. So the first thing that I didn't... Are we going Batman or Superman? Let's go Superman. Okay. And we'll do it chronologically. So just for anyone who, who cares, this is the first issue of the 2023 Superman run, uh, which obviously came out this year and was written and art by... Written by Joshua Williamson and artist and cover artist uh, Jamal Campbell. So, new series, the latest Superman. Uh, how confused were you? Well, again, like him taking control of LexCorp didn't make a lot of sense to me, but cool, whatever. So, Lex Luthor has kind of jumped around between like villain to anti hero to yeah. full on hero. So he seems to be kind of in that middle ground, which I think does has made him a more interesting character these totally. days. He's kind of got a m- more compass, but I think depending on the iteration, it's sometimes like he's a good guy at heart and sometimes it's he's just trying to prove that he's better than Superman, like by saving more yeah. people. But yeah, I thought this one was very much a it's a first issue of a new series. Let's do something slightly shocking to kind of gauge people like get them in first so superman becoming the head of lex corp was an interesting thing first things first looks fantastic color is amazing great contrast they nailed it and the- it doesn't it has that dc it has that very current dc house style to mm. a degree um but i thought the character model for clark kent was inspired i think it's it's similar to like 
the Blue Beetle one we did, the graduation day. Yeah. But it's like, it pops even more, but yeah. it doesn't feel brighter. Totally. It's, it's higher contrast without the colors being brighter. Yeah. And there's a texture to it, which mm. feels like very warm and doesn't feel as sharp as like other DC comics do. And Clark, Clark Ken looks fantastic in it. I mean, Superman just looks fantastic. He's got that classic. The classic hair. Curl. Yeah. But no, but like the baseball cap, glasses, kind of demure in a hoodie thing for Clark Kent, I think is just a great character model choice. Um, He's Lois, a big guy, always hunched over, but like very wimpy. Yeah, totally. No, they nailed it. Like they knocked it out of the park with the way it looks. Um, the story kind of moved along in a way that I felt was enjoyable. Yep. I. I felt like the opening fight, it wasn't overly like a, and here's Superman and here's what he can do. Like it yeah. felt like it, 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 I'll tell you what it was. It was that voice that we didn't know who it was. Until yeah. I, I really enjoyed that as an aspect of like, here's something interesting. Because immediately I'm like, who's the voice? Well, I thought it was Superman's interior monologue until oh, yeah. I realized it was Lex. But then they were like, break, break her arm. And you're like, wait, what? Like, yeah. I thought, who is this? And especially after reading the Batman one, which we'll get into that, because I've got some complaints there. Hot mess in it. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the Superman one. Um, The splash page with his origin in his cape. I was yeah. like, thank you. Like, again, we know these characters' origins. Don't run us through it all. Like, a br- like a quick really artistic like red shadowy splash across his cape i was like great it like, was fantastic we know it you've reminded us of it that's all i needed so lois lane again the most independent woman in all of comics fucking badass are we presented with a mixed race lois lane here let me because that was my reading of it just from the way her character model looked yeah i think she's yeah been given a a more ambiguous look i guess in terms of race uh i know in I watched a great TV show, the My Adventures with Superman, which definitely has her definitely not white. Like I, I'd be, I'd only be guessing to say what I think they've depicted her as without checking. Ethnically ambiguous. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and also they gave her a short haircut, mm. and I saw about when it first like the trailer came out, a lot of like comic uh threads and forums and stuff were like, oh my god, they've made Lois a, a sexy tomboy. That's <laughs> like is that the most important thing like fair enough i understand your excitement but <laughs> how were people into that I, yeah but a lot of people liked it and i think it's because it had an anime look which yeah totally. i highly recommend if anyone hasn't seen it, it like i'm not a huge superman fan mm. i'm more so after reading this comic right but the t- but this cartoon anime style cartoon is so good like it's like i would read some of this run yeah, like we'll, we'll come pro- back to it. I would probably read this run. Purely for the art. Like, I liked the way it looked. It looked great. Um, I can't overstate that. The pages scanned beautifully. I was going to talk about the splash page that you just mentioned. That was fabulous. It just all looks great. Super cohesive. Like, huge props to whoever did the um, line work and the colouring on this. Because they knocked it out of the park. It looks fantastic. So, Josh Williamson... I just looked up the writer. He, because I recognized the name. Yeah. He also wrote a very limited four issue run of a series called Rogues. Right. It was really good. And I literally picked up just being like, oh, what is this? I knew the Rogues, they're like flash enemies. And they've always been a bit interesting because they're, yes, we've talked about them. They're enemies who don't kill like intentionally. So it's always a fun because they just do heists and stuff. Yeah. Um, And they, he, I was, it was meant to be like a one last heist. They come out of retirement and then they're done kind of thing. And the heist is like they're, they're stealing gold from 
Gorilla City, which is like a race of like highly intelligent gorillas, essentially, <laughs> who are led by a guy called Gorilla Grodd, who a guy, a gorilla, <laughs> who is a powerful telepath, so he can like fuck you up mentally. Telepathic gorilla, exactly. That's and he talks. Um, that's fucking badass yeah <laughs> and the run i literally picked up i was like this sounds interesting and i was like this is so good and also one of the few modern comics i've read from the big two that was aimed at 17 plus had swearing did swear had full swears. real swears full swears oh give me your full swears exactly i love it so joshua williamson big fan of his work so no surprise this superman one's gone gone great as well is it was it well received uh, I, I mean, I assume so based on the, I've put it this way, when a big title like Batman Superman, when it's going bad, I hear about it immediately, like in the space I'm in. The fact yeah. that I've not heard about this, I can only assume it's met the standards they have that for Superman. Expect, yeah, because yeah, Batman, Chip Zdarsky, there's uh, running that, there's a lot of complaints there, which we'll get into and that. Because to be clear, the only Superman I've read is Alan Moore's annual <laughs> the 1985 the 80s, yeah. annual the man who has everything and that was a good one for his character it was excellent so that was my benchmark for superman and i read action comics one and then read this straight away it's really like straight away I, I i read them superman superman batman batman yeah so this was my first modern superman and i think the thing that kind of interested me was clark kent's confidence we are seeing a more confident Clark Kent. Here. Yeah, he's been at it for a bit. Yeah, and 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 this is the thing, isn't it? We're seeing this is in media res. It hints that a lot of stuff has happened recently, yeah. with, but it's starting a new story where you don't need any of it. So I think that helps. Like Lex Luthor being in prison, that's no shock, is it? Mm. Like he's the big bad. Like that's yeah, not a surprise. Totally made sense. Um, obviously, that kind of almost collegiate relationship between Lex Luthor and Superman was a bit baffling. But again, I was just able to think, well, this is the status quo that we've reached at this point. This is what DC are doing with it. I'll just run with it. And it was fun um, to see them not at odds with each other, but not necessarily at odds with each other. And there's this moment where Superman goes, I'm just going to go see him. I I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to go see Lex. Well, he's pissed. He was pissed because of the hologram thing. So did you get the hologram reference? No. So, I mean, I know the Jarrell head from one of the Superman films from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, and that that's a basic, that's a core tenet of the modern Superman is he has the Fortress of Solitude, which has a hologram of his dead dad. So his right. dad, with Kryptonian technology, basically imprinted his entire, basically it's an AI. Like he yeah. made an AI of himself, put in, and he was like, you'll help guide my son on this new planet. I mean, it was cool that when they when somebody called him Kal-El, I was like, I know who that is. <laughs> I know that. I get that now. That makes sense to me. Like I knew, like you know, there's, so there was a couple of things that if this had been my first Superman, I'd have been a bit confused by the Kryptonian names and stuff like that. Yeah. But obviously, going in with the minimal knowledge that I now have, I was like, yeah, this all makes sense. Like this tracks. And this was great for a number one because you didn't need much beyond the com- the most common Superman knowledge. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, again, I'm not a big comic books guy, which is ridiculous and hilarious, <laughs> given that I sit and do this with you for an hour, hour and a half a week. Um, but I was able to go into this and just read the story for what it was and enjoy it. I think, so the core difference is here, and, and that's part of this video and part of the premise, so I think yeah. we should do that. Part of this podcast. The power creep yep. was yep. obviously very prevalent. We are seeing a fully powered Superman with 85 years worth of power creep here. I mean, in terms of like a notable benchmark, in the 80s, in the Infinite Crisis, uh, 
crossover, big crossover, he was pulling entire planets to, yeah. to move them. And so we're not seeing the most overpowered Superman here. I think we're seeing DC having gotten to a point where they've found a nice kind of groove for his powers where he's incredibly powerful and godlike, but not overpowered this is a bit of a return to form because what would happen is every time they have like a big dc crossover he would elevate because superman would be like we need the big gun we need superman like anytime there's a big big enemy it's like we need superman so this brought him back down to almost like superman's version of street level yeah which is i think like the best way because i think that's cosmic it's where you give him more challenges to overcome and things like that i really love the the reason for the voice was as he said he attuned his super hearing to instinctively listen for certain people and things and the two people that get named for that are bruce as in bruce wayne and lex luther yeah and of course like the two people who you would of in the world who like i need to hear when they when they say something significant i need to know immediately and also it makes sense that lex luther probably found realized that fairly early on and like made ways to safeguard against that but now he's in prison he's just like i'll talk to superman so he's just like talking. he's just fucking with him isn't he which is great well, yeah, it's it's a clever thing that I'm, that makes me interested in the story. Where I'm like, is he genuine? Is he genuinely trying to make Superman a more efficient hero, or yeah. is there something seedier here? And again, with the whole giving him LexCorp, it's like there's something going on here. Yeah. And then as I said it's one issue. So there's not that much to say about no, it, but just it's a nice representation of Superman. I like how he's very like careful with her boys. Like you know, like be go easy on her. Like taking her to prison. Like be gentle. Treat her like a human. You know that kind of thing. So. Is there anything that struck you having just read the very first iteration that was different that you wouldn't have noticed had you not just read Action Comics 1? The biggest change that I didn't anticipate that was Mm. like a shock or a surprise was the vibe of the character. So in the 30s one, he's a, hang on, I'm I'm here to sort things out and to set things straight. Like, that's his thing, isn't it? Like, he's like, hang on, like, I won't let you get away with this. Modern Superman, the modern iteration now, is very much a, hey, I'm here to help, like, anyone who needs it, like, I can officiate your wedding if you need it, or I'll (laughs) save the day and save people's lives, but I'm always smiling, and I'm always, like, being the beacon of hope, like, it's, like, early on, like, uh, well, after the 30s one, the saying was, he stands for truth, justice, and the American way. Now, obviously, the American way has been a bit co-opted a bit, but, (laughs) but truth and justice is, like, he's meant to be the aspirational figurehead of those concepts, and I feel it a lot more now here than the 30s first version where he was just like a kind of like writing wrongs of society yeah so very different vibe like like you say we can point to all the powers and the setting and everything else i think the vibe is the most surprising difference and i think it's the core of everything else there's less vigilantism as well isn't there yeah he's a part of society like yes he has his, and with that uh, that feeds into the whole lex luther thing it's like we shouldn't be relying on alien gods to defend us whole thing because that first iteration kind of felt more like batman to me with yeah the kind i of, see what you mean do you know what i mean that low level village vigilantism felt like something that has now become more synonymous with someone like daredevil or batman yeah absolutely i see what you mean whereas yeah it felt like the modern superman had been elevated beyond that also did a better representation of darkness and night which was probably a <laughs> significant factor just weird that. yeah just unusual wasn't it so should we talk about batman yeah this what a hot mess so i'll give you a little bit a very brief yeah my introduction to this particular run yeah 
this 2016 run, so it's this we are reading issue 139 of an of a series that started in 2016. Yeah. And for one thing, I like long runs like this. Yeah, like I like good. that there's like a continuity that lasts quite a while. They haven't rebooted in several years. Like that's great to me. This started being written by one of my favorite writers, Tom King. Tom King. He started this one. A lot of controversy in how he did that. He, he did the whole Batman Superman wedding and. Uh, Batman Superman wedding, Jesus. I was about to say, what? What's <laughs> the going on? Batman Catwoman yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one. Um, and he did a lot. I love Tom King's style of writing comics. I completely understand why people didn't like his version of Batman. Like, absolutely fair enough. I personally enjoyed it, but I completely get why other people didn't. Mm. Then there was a couple of other writers in between then uh, to then where we are now, or more recently, past year or so, maybe longer, was Chip Zdarsky. Yeah. Chip Zdarsky, big fan of his as well. I love his Daredevil run. Like, I'm going to do a video on it at some point. It's really great. Yeah. Uh, I love he and Matt Fraction did a series called Sex Criminals, which is brilliant as and well. And he also did that public domain that we loved. Public domain. Yeah. So he's a great writer. We know this about him. He's not great at Batman. So did he write this issue? He wrote this issue, yes. No shit. That was, yeah. How is this Chip Zdarsky? He's just not good at Batman. And I, I, that's why I, I want to caveat by being, I love all his other work that he does on these other characters and the original works. He just hasn't got Batman in a good way. Yeah. So when he first started on this Batman run, he did this storyline called Failsafe, right? Right. The point of Failsafe was it was coming off the back of a, it was a story called, I think it was called Tower of Babel or Tower of Babel or something. So the point of that was great Justice League story. Victor Savage, Vic, Vandal, Sa Vandal Savage is a enemy who, it was actually at the end of this comic. Uh, I didn't, care about her at all it was yeah, a kind of yeah, nothing yeah. story but he's a character who big bad in dc and what he does is he somehow he knows bruce wayne's batman he breaks into the bat cave and he finds bruce wayne's files right and the okay. files are how to incapacitate each member of the justice league so he takes those plans gets all of their enemies he's like here are plans that we can stop or the Justice League. Yeah. And then all, what he did for Batman was he told Bane that Batman was Bruce Wayne. So yeah. Bane just went and caught him off guard as Bruce Wayne. So naturally, Batman, break, he actually gets buried alive, like with his oh. parents. And oh, he, God. Yeah, and he breaks out with of it. his fully decomposed parents. Like skeletons by this point, yeah. Oh, God. But he breaks out of it, and then he beats Bane, like as he does. And then he's like, right, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. And then finds out what's happening to all the other Justice League. And so he, they help him, uh, they, he helps them one by one, and they, they save the day and everything, come back. But then you get this end where it's really cool, iconic part where the Justice League are like, how can we fucking trust you? Like, you literally had files on us on how to stop us. And he's like, obviously I did. You're the most powerful, the most powerful thing in the world is the yeah. Justice League. Like, of course we needed backups for like, or plans in case you went awry. And then someone goes, so one of them goes like, oh so what's the plan if batman goes evil or something like what was the plan then like thinking that he would be superior and wouldn't have an answer and his answer is the justice league yeah. like if i go bad you guys have got to stop me like that's the that's the thing yeah and it ends on that with him getting kicked out of the justice league but it ends with superman so superman's thing i don't know if this was the animated movie which i saw or the comic which i read a bit after yeah but i think superman's evolved a kryptonian a, a kryptonite bullet yeah. And at the end of the anime, one at the very least, he trusts Batman's judgment. So he gives him the kryptonite bullet. He's right. like, you have this in case I ever do go bad. Like, that's his, ta his tacit, like, I 
I'm not saying I'm fully on board, but I get where you're coming from. I'm on from board enough that I'm yeah. going to hand you the key. I to... see your point enough. So that was a great part. By the way, Tower of Babel, Bible reference. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is like a reference for something. Well, no, it's the Tower of Babel is a biblical story. Yeah, I'm not sure why they called it that. but um, Because Babel was this place that had a lot of like, so um, everybody, everybody could understand each other in Babel. So language was a moot point. Um, but there was so much decadence that God saw fit to destroy it, basically. Yeah, maybe the reference to the Justice League or something. So the reason I bring all that up sounds like a massive tangent, but it is very related because this this story that Chip Zdarsky wrote, the failsafe is a robot program that Bruce Wayne made to, to as a failsafe if Batman ever goes rogue. Yeah. So immediately, I'm like, why are you backtracking on this great moment from like years before to do this. with something worse? And also, if Batman went evil, as being Bruce Wayne himself, he would know how to deal with his own robot, right? So the the reason they get around that, which is another criticism I had at the time when I read it, was it was a another part of Bruce Wayne or Batman's yeah, consciousness, I know, which is just fucking dumb. And yeah, and that part of him and i didn't this wasn't established when i read it i just yeah. i just knew it was another part of his consciousness and that's why he didn't know um turns out to be that colored costume version of him in this issue right so this batman i had to look this up because i actually didn't know this uh that part of him is called batman of zur nr and that name apparently comes from like Bruce Wayne as a kid mishearing his dad's last words before the mugging, which was something like, it was something like, oh, if he existed today, Zorro would be in Arkham. So right. it's meant to be a play on that. Yeah. Th- this character is from like the 60s. So yeah. Chip Zdarsky's brought him back as the explanation of like, here's how this failsafe cre- thing was, a uh, robot was created. Basically, he's gone off the deep end. I don't like, in terms of like, a big contrived story. I don't yeah. think it's gone well. He had one moment where Batman manages to get from space to Earth yeah. safely. It's just a hot mess. Doesn't look great, I would I, argue. To be fair, I, I do think there's the bigger panels do look good, I thought. But so bigger Batman panels always look great. And I, I did already say that the splash panel looked fucking fantastic. Yeah. The reveal splash panel of Batman kind of half in darkness you see the sue it does look fantastic what i mean is i wasn't as much of a fan of the visual language of the whole thing yeah it was a lot kind of darker and not yeah. as interesting looking it was a kind of like pencil drawn look yeah which i'm fine with i guess it, it didn't really pop out to me it didn't help that i wasn't enjoying the story as much well yeah and i suppose this is the thing isn't it we've established mm. that this happens to both of us when we're not enjoying a story we kind of you know yeah but like there's moments like this where that just isn't a great piece of art for me. no i think the the main thing we should look at now because we didn't enjoy the story as much is like your question what are the biggest differences between this modern batman and the 38 one i think one of the there's big differences in terms of everything the Batman is nowadays. So he's obviously darker. He's in the shadows. He's yeah. got a strict moral code. I think the key thing with this very modern day, like as of like this last decade or so, there's a bigger focus on the psychology of Batman. Yeah, and I suppose that that is part of the evolution. There's also they've leaned they've really leaned deeply into this idea of the Joker as nemesis. Yeah. For people not watching this as a visual podcast, because it isn't one, 
I'm pointing at a panel where they've inset a panel which is half of Batman's face, half of the Joker's face. Yeah. And so they're really leaning into that idea that has existed in Batman for a long time now where the Joker is his opposite number. And obviously that just wasn't present initially. That's something that's evolved through time Mm. and the Joker becoming such a prominent Batman villain, right? So I would say from the 60s, um, maybe not even till maybe like the 80s or 90s, Mm. I think the Joker has always been just one of his enemies for that time. And it it wasn't until way later when I think the Joker became such a popular character. And also... For the longest time, they didn't give him a backstory compared mm. to everyone else. I think that was just by ha- by happenstance. I think they were like, oh, he's actually a lot more mysterious because we haven't given him. Maybe it was because him as just a homicidal clown with no origin was just interesting in itself. The initial big Batman villains were Penguin, weren't they? Penguin was a big one. Riddler. Riddler, Penguin, people like that. The one, thi- the one piece of art that I did really love in this, and I've just found it for you, is that splash panel. I was going to say about that. because, But that's because of the context. But, but it's fantastically well rendered. Like from that, I get a real sense of 1960s Batman. Yeah, like, and that's that's because they are all different versions of. Yeah, them. no, they're all so nailed on. They look, they all every every single one of them looks fantastic, and they've taken about ten distinct art styles and made them all work in one big splash panel together. There's some that I can name. So the whole point of this is that there's even more Batman personalities in his mind. So I'm not yeah. big on that context, but. In terms of the types of Batman they have here, though, jumping out of the top, they've got Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller Batman, yeah. with the big bat on the chest. Then you've got 60s cartoon Batman. You've got 90s animated Batman on yeah. the right. This uh, put together one, I don't know. Um, there's the Val Kilmer Batman, it looks like. Yeah. It looks like Val Kilmer under it. And then you've got a 60s um adam west is that adam west i think so yeah, yeah. yeah with the with the one ear kind of falling a bit because the costume wasn't great for like keeping them up yeah so yeah that's great but yeah definitely a a highlight of a not great current run which yeah. again is a shame because i keep coming back chips is asking i really i really like it. yeah no totally and like I've not read anything. This is I didn't clock that this was written by Chip Sadarsky, which mm. says a lot because I hold him in really high esteem, mm. thanks to public domain. And this is just one of those areas that, like, again, not every writer nails every run of a superhero they do, and that's fair enough. So, And Batman is a difficult one because the standards are so high, not necessarily because of how good the comics are normally, but because of the peaks that people yeah. remember, like the killing joke the long halloween the year one and dark knight returns people think of those and they think oh every every current run should be as good as those and they're just not like it's it's they're never gonna get there well i mean okay very rarely they do sometimes and i think that is what keeps people going for me it was the tom king run which again is not popular choice but Everyone has those. Is that not held in very high esteem then? Some people really just don't like Tom King's style. And I it is a distinct I get style. It. And we've talked about this a lot, haven't we? Yeah. I love it, but that's but I understand why people don't. Mm. And he did write the best Batman story, which was that issue of Human Target, where hey. Batman where Batman's not in it. Oh, that was so good. So good. So good. So, um so yeah, and I and I suppose this is the other thing, is that within the DC comic book universe there is this sense of omniscience around Batman. Like he's all knowing, all seeing. Whereas obviously that ha- is something that's de- developed over time. And so we're not seeing that in this uh, this early Batman run. So there's an interesting thing with Batman where he's a lot more 
all-powerful, all-knowing, seemingly. When he's, yeah. Yeah, when he's in a big crossover thing. Yeah. When he's in that, he's like, oh, he could take on Superman. Like, he's that level. As soon as he's back down to his own stories, he gets a lot more like, someone's been murdered, I need to figure out who did it. Like, yeah. it's that. So, like, the Batman from the Justice League would almost be like, I know immediately who did it. I knew who did it before they did it kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas when he's back down, to, he's it, it goes from, like, street level to cosmic level. Yeah, I suppose Batman is seen as an unstoppable force when he's in an ensemble. But if they did that in his own stuff, it would become boring, wouldn't it? So there needs to be some challenge. There needs to be some more limits to his power. I think the problem with that is because he is there, like figurehead basically like yeah. along with superman when they do a big thing a big cosmic crossover it's like well superman's there obviously wonder woman's there she can hold her own flash is like a god in his own right we have to get batman in there somehow so yeah. then he becomes the all-knowing all like in high insanely intelligent you know he, that becomes his superpower but then they have to tone that down again when he's then street level because like you say it'd be boring what's interesting here is that we are presented with a, a very modern standard Bruce Wayne, but Bruce Wayne of the original comic was like this kind of prancing socialite in his dinner jacket, smoking his pipe. And I feel like a certain element of that has been lost over the years. And mm. the um, Bruce Wayne, what what I'm what I'm maybe suggesting is that there were some subtle changes to Clark Kent's character which modernized him a little bit. Bruce Wayne is just completely different here. Yeah, well, in this, more recently, he's not a billionaire right now. Oh, what yeah. happened? He the There was a big Joker war thing, and the Joker, knowing he was Bruce Wayne, was um, managed to steal all his money, basically. So, but Bruce Wayne's power is directly linked to his money, isn't it? Exactly. And that was like a an interesting direction to take him in. He has had to be Batman with limited resources. Yeah. So it's definitely made it more interesting in some ways. But it does also, for me, like I've, I see these waves as like, we do an interesting thing for a while, then we go back and, you know, like the tide's turning every once in a while. So for I me- I love the idea of Bruce Wayne turning up to be Batman in like a Hyundai. Yeah. He had to, he had to get a taxi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he's, he couldn't quite afford an Uber, so he had to get a Lyft. Yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to get a Bat-Uber. <laughs> a Batuba. A Batuba, yes. I got a Batuba. So- I think that's pretty it's much what we get for, the, think, for yeah. the modern ones, but it's still an interesting road to go down. I think we got a lot more of the old ones because there's so much difference. They they were fascinating, weren't they? Yeah, I think really. I think what'd be good at some point is if we take like one from the 40s and then the 50s and the 60s and just see how that kind of goes. Totally, I'd love to do some Golden Age Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, that I'd, first I'd, one is really interesting. I'd love to do some. Yeah, I'd love to do some early like. Iron Man when he was either in the Korean War or the World War Two, as opposed to the Iraq War. Yeah, I think so. Or was yeah. he in Nam? I think it was. I don't think he was in Vietnam. I think he. I don't know where. I don't know where originally his accent happened. I know Punisher was originally Vietnam. Yeah, and they updated him to like Afghanistan and Iraq. But no, I would. I would. I've been saying I want to do some older stuff for a while, haven't yeah. I? And I think we should both probably do Spider Man next. Yeah, I think. Well, we've done a bit of old Spider Man because we talked a lot. We talked a lot about John Romita senior didn't we yeah but well yeah but if we do like really early on like first writing because he was an established character when ramita senior took him over yeah well i mean again i've been thinking about doing some older stuff for a while and i think the general sense that we both have is that it's the most interesting for us when we talk about stuff that's currently releasing right yeah um because you know it kind of it just feels a bit more worthy the current zeitgeist of comics yeah totally and that's like totally valid isn't it but actually reading stuff that's like 85 years old. I mean, I still, my, my like, my conception of where we are in time is still rooted in the 90s. 
Yeah. And so in my head, something as that 90s happened, kids, yeah. Yeah, something that happened nine, 85 years ago happened pre-World War One. Actually, Batman is nearly 100 years old. Um, Batman is nearly as old as The Great Gatsby. You know, that's just, that blows my mind a little bit. And so the idea of actually taking a look at the early inception of a few of these characters would be really interesting. We touched on it with Thor when we did a whole deep dive into Thor. We've now touched on it with Batman and Superman. I think it would be interesting to talk about some early Marvel. Of course, that becomes a bit more difficult because the whole Stan Lee not actually having created some of what he says he created thing. Well, that'd be an interesting part of it, won't it? It would, it would have to be part of the discussion, wouldn't it? Yeah. But yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much all we've got for this one. I think it was interesting that doing two lots two superheroes now of this format it's gone us nearly two hours like or well, definitely well over an hour and a half so definitely maybe like one superhero we maybe a bit off more than we could chew yeah and we took I've, the biggest one so i feel like we've talked a lot more about superman as well because we just both enjoyed both of the superman comics more right well superman has been kind of underrepresented a bit in very recent years um but he's going to be big again because james gunn is doing superman legacy in a few years and we've talked more about supergirl on this podcast and we have superman yep because she had a great run by tom king yeah i know it was fantastic who is they are using that as the basis for a supergirl film in the reboot of the Sick. dc yeah yeah so we do it again <laughs> we just Sick. do the same one again yeah i really liked that comic book yeah. the narration was so good yeah and i think the the dc reboot helmed by james gunn is going to be great mm. it's going to give us a lot to cover i think for that totally so yeah do you want to take us out thank you so much for listening if you want to watch some shorts we make them on youtube and tiktok i don't need to tell you where anymore it's just the comic literate podcast if you want to send us an email comic literate podcast at gmail.com comic literate at podcast or comic literate podcast at gmail.com i think it's just comic literate gmail.com <laughs> comic literate gmail.com he was right that's annoying <laughs> um reviews five star wherever the fuck you get your podcast from just just make it a good one i don't care what you say as long as it's five stars baby and we will read it out and we will absolutely read it out um we should probably stop saying that because we haven't had a five star review yet so. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell them that <laughs> we haven't read any out yet <laughs> um as always big thank you to the comic literate resident historian who wants to remain unnamed thank you so much for listening and good night thank you goodbye